Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Season 3 of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. We're going to keep the momentum rolling. We have an amazing show lined up for you tonight. We have a man that is, is a career educator. He is a pillar in the community, and he is somebody that meant a lot to a lot of different people and still does. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Paul Monty. How you doing, Mr. Monty? Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Dean. And thank you for having me on. It's uh, the pleasure's mine. Uh, we call you by your first name, so I'll be calling you Mr. Monty throughout the entire the entire broadcast. <laughs> it's, just, it's just how I know you. It's just I could I just couldn't fathom because um, of the respect I have for you. Um, even attempting to call you by your first name, so don't ask because I'm not going to do it. And uh, show is um it's difficult but it's a little different than things that i've done in the past where we are going to be talking about duty honor and sacrifice that comes along with not only military members but military families as well so here's a little clip to tell you a little bit about mr monty and why he is the perfect person to have this conversation with so check this out Bryce has a number one country music song called uh, I Drive Your Truck. And uh, that all began uh, when uh, Connie Harrington, a songwriter from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, heard me doing a radio interview with NPR Radio uh, for Memorial Day in 2011. Um, and uh, during the interview, uh, they asked me how I keep my son close, and one of the ways I said was, I drive your truck. So Connie ended up writing that line down while she was driving on the highway and just about drove off the highway as tears filled her eyes. And uh, then they found Lee Bryce, and he recorded it and became number one. Uh, then they tried to search for me. After two years, they finally were able to find out who did the interview, and Connie called me and went down to Nashville for the uh, number one party. and. Uh, that's how it all came to be. That's Jared's truck. It's a Dodge Ram 2001. I drive it every day. This is my vehicle, even though it burns a lot of gas. It's, um, it's comforting for me to be in the vehicle that he rode. And uh, so, you know, I, I do keep it up. I did put a new engine in it last September um, just to keep it on the road. And I will keep it on the road as long as I possibly can most comfortable thing is, uh, you know, having his DNA around me. I drive your truck. I drive your truck. All right. So, Mr. Monty, tell us about Jared. Oh, wow. Tell you about Jared. Uh, there's so much to tell. Um, kind of quickly, I guess. Um, Jared was always a very adventurous kid. Um, there was never a tree that was too tall or a hill too high or 
a river or creek too wide for him to climb up or go over. Um, always on the adventure, love that. And as he grew, that same kind of behavior, you know, continued and continued. Um, one of the things I think the most important thing that I noticed about him growing up, <clears throat> other than the fact that he had this tremendous humility, his team would win a trophy in baseball or basketball and, you know, have their picture taken. And where is he? He's hiding in the back somewhere. He's not the kid holding the trophy up. That's That wasn't him. Um, one year, he won the uh, New England weightlifting championship, the under-17 division. Um, he wouldn't allow me to go to the championship. He told me he was just going to, to watch, and yet he was in it, and he won. I didn't even find out he won until after he died, and... I was cleaning out his room and under his bed was a box full of trophies, basketball trophies, baseball trophies, soccer trophies. And then there was this three foot tall trophy of a weightlifter and the brass plaque on it said, New England weightlifting championship, first place under 17 division, Jared Monty. Uh, that's, who he was. Never said a word? Not a word. Not a word. He had, uh, he actually ended up with uh, 35 medals from the military. Never wore them. They all went in a sock drawer somewhere. Um, one day he came home from school and uh, he asked me, hey, Dad, uh, can I cut down one of those trees in the front yard? I had a half a dozen spruce trees in the front yard. I was going to get rid of them because they block, block my view. So, um, you know, I said, well, you know, what do you want that for? He said, well, me and the guys, we want to have our own Christmas tree. Fine. Okay, go ahead, son. Again, after he died, one of his buddies come up and said to me, Mr. Marge, remember the Christmas tree? And I said, yeah, what about it? He said, well, that wasn't for us guys. Jared had found a single mom in town with three kids and they weren't gonna have a Christmas at all. So he brought the tree to her, bought a stand for it, bought lights for it and decorations, then bought presents for her and for the kids. And then Christmas day went over there and cooked Christmas dinner for her and the kids and told nobody about it. And this kind of scenario played throughout his entire life. Um, he lived his life by three basic principles. And every time I speak about him, I mention them because they're so important. And they're so important for kids today. First one was um, always try your hardest. And he did that. And it didn't matter whether it was sports, schoolwork, or anything else. The kid always tried his hardest. The second principle he lived by was never give up. That was another thing that he did. Again, whether it was sports or school, if he's having trouble with math, he didn't give up and throw the book aside. He went at it and went at it and went at it because he wouldn't give up ever, no matter what. And his last principle, probably the most important one, was always do the right thing. And so when he saw something wrong, he did the right thing. One day he was down in uh, 
Fayetteville, North Carolina, when he was he was stationed uh, with the 82nd Airborne. And he and his buddy were in downtown Fayetteville. It was a cold winter night. And they were walking along, and there was a homeless guy in the street. And he asked the boys if he could have some money to buy a cup of coffee. Well, Jared takes off this brand-new Abercrombie and Fitch shirt that he had just gotten and hands it to the guy and said, the coffee will keep you warm for 10 minutes. This shirt will keep you warm all night. That's that's what he did. It was the right thing to do. Um, Incredible. Yeah, I, I came home one day. I remember um, I looked in his bedroom and his bed was gone. And when I got to speak with Jared, where's your bed? Well, dad, one of my friends got kicked out of his house and he's living at somebody else's house, but he has to sleep on the floor. So I gave him my bed, dad, because I don't mind sleeping on the floor. This is, I don't know who does these kinds of things. Again, in North Carolina, um, he and his buddies, they had a, they had their own place to live. So they furnished it. They went out and spent a lot of money on furniture. His two other roommates come home and the kitchen set is missing. And Jared comes home and he's, Monty, where's the kitchen set? Well, I was over one of my soldiers' houses today and his kids were eating on the floor. I figured they needed it more than we did. And then he reimbursed the two guys for their, their part of buying the kitchen set. And these, these are all stories that permeate through his whole life. When we sent him care packages, when he was in Kosovo, when he was in Korea, when he was in Afghanistan, he'd open them up and pass everything out, not just to his soldier buddies, but mostly to the children in the area where he was. Because uh, it was the right thing to do. And when you come to the day of the end of his life, what happened? Well, there's a soldier out there in the middle of nowhere being shot at by the enemy with no cover whatsoever. And he gets up and he runs out to save him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And why did he do that? Because it was the right thing to do. And because going out three times was because he had to try his hardest and because he couldn't give up. And those principles ended up costing him his life. That's what I deal with. Uh, and I often ask myself, did I do the right thing? How so? We're bringing him up to be that way. Maybe he'd be alive today. That's the thing I have to live with. Well, Mr. Monty, I, I, I can tell you on behalf of Everybody watching, on behalf of anybody who's ever met you, you can't put that on yourself. By raising, you can't. You, you By raising a child to be honorable. This is, I mean, I, I'm, I have three young kids. And I only hope that my children end up being a fraction as honorable as what you're describing. And, you know, Dean, I don't make up stories. These are true stories. And I could, I, I, I could I, I, go on and on and on. It's um you so want to talk about courage, Dean? So you're a basketball player. Yeah, once upon a time. 
My son was a fabulous basketball player. He led the CYO league in scoring. But when he went to middle school, he was the last person cut from the basketball team. All the other players on the basketball team decided they were going to quit the team because Monty didn't make the team. He got them together and screamed at him and said, you're not quitting any team. You're on the team. Don't worry about me. The next year, he tried out again. He was again the last cut. Okay, time to give up, right? Oh, no. The third year, his last year in middle school, he tried out again. He was the last cut. But the coach asked him if he would stay on and be the team manager, keep the books, that he could warm up with the team before games, but he couldn't play. He had no uniform. He did that. And after the second game, the coach found a uniform for him so he wouldn't look funny in the warm-ups. And then after the third game, he started playing in mop-up time. And by the end of the season, he was outscoring some of the starters. And that coach said at the awards night, the end of school, <clears throat> that Jared Monty was the biggest mistake he ever made in his 25-year coaching career. Jared never complained. He just kept trying. He couldn't give up. I'm, I'm speechless. I, I have to live with it. You're speechless. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So at some point, there must have been a conversation between you and Jared when he said, Dad, this is what I want to do after high school. Can you take us through that? Yeah, when he was uh, when he was a junior in high school, he came home and said, Dad, I want to join the military. And I said, well, I don't think so. Um, you're going to college, son. you got great grades. Uh, but, Dad, um, you can't afford to pay my tuition. I said, Jared, look. I'll just take on another job. Don't worry about it. Uh, but dad, you're already working two and three jobs. Let me do this. Now, because he was only 17 at the time, I had to sign his papers. Um, and I did. So between his junior and senior year in high school, while all his buddies were out at the swimming hole and having a great time, he was at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, in the dirt, dust, heat, and humidity doing the first half of his basic. And then after senior year, he switched over from the guard to the regular army. I had great trepidation. I did. But, boy, he had the best arguments in the world. What can I say? That's what my son wanted. So he makes it do basic. He gets assigned his initial duty. What, so what, what was his initial duty when he got assigned out of basic? Uh, he went to um, Fort Sill, Oklahoma um, as a 13 
F-13 Fox, um, basically a forward observer, mm -hmm. which didn't make me happy either because we used to call them the suicide squad because what they do is they operate behind enemy lines and they call in air support, they call in artillery, mortars, um, but they're always operating behind enemy lines, so they're always in danger. So there's a wonderful, incredible building at at um, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. It's a huge building, brand new. It's the most advanced forward observer school in the world. In fact, you know, our native allies, they send their soldiers over there to train. And what amazes me is, and I've of course been there for the dedication, when you drive around Fort Sill, all of the buildings are named after great generals. And then you have this biggest, newest building that's named after this sergeant. And it's like, wow, what a place to be. But um, yeah, his first assignment was out there at, uh, at Fort Sill. Then it was off to Fort Bragg uh, with the 82nd Airborne. Then he was deployed to South Korea and then redeployed again to South Korea to a different base then deployed to Kosovo um, for that. And then 2003 deployed to Afghanistan for 0304 and back home and then redeployed back to Afghanistan um, for 06. Well, Mr. Money, if I could, the chat, as I'm sure you can imagine, is lighting it up right now. Um, I did this one comment that's really jumping out at me right now. It's from uh, from Matt. Matt says, as a combat infantryman and someone who has felt some loss and similar feelings as Mr. Monty, you have to remember that what makes these people great and honorable is what you love about them. If he wasn't that way, it wouldn't mean he would survive. It would mean he wasn't him. It's hard to explain in writing, but it's important. And um, I just think that that's such a wonderful, thoughtful comment. Um, I don't know the gentleman that that um, that put that in there, but um, but thank you, thank you, Matt, for uh, for that thoughtful comment. You know, uh, you know, you know, Dean. The most important thing to me is when those that served with him get in contact with me, and they still are, after all these years, and tell the wonderful stories of him. And it's not always so much as, you know, the G.I. Joe stuff, because he wasn't a G.I. Joe. He was just the opposite. Um, but the stories of the things he did and how he made other soldiers better soldiers. Like they were climbing a mountain in Afghanistan, and they had a new recruit with them. And this kid kept lagging, lagging behind, lagging behind. Jared, who always led from the front, went back to see what was going on with the kid. And he said, Sergeant Monty, I can't make it. I can't do this. Now, they're all carrying 70-pound packs. But Jared took the kid's pack off his back and put it on his own back with his own 70-pound pack and walked the kid up the hill. And when they got close enough to the rest of the group who had stopped to rest, Jared took the kid's pack off 
put it back on him and allowed the kid to walk into the group with the pack on and never said a word. Who does that stuff? Somebody who embodies what true leadership is does that. Yeah. You're going to make me cry here. <laughs> you know what? You might not be the only one by the time this is over, Mr. Monty. It's um, obviously there are no words, but you have to know how much what you're sharing means to everybody. If it means it means so much. So a lot of your former students are chiming in right now. So class of 1996, I believe, 97 maybe. Hi, Aaron. Yep. Yep. And this gentleman right here, um, this is somebody who's on the show monthly. Um, he is a former military vet. Well, he's a military vet, and he is a detective sergeant in a uh, jurisdiction north of Boston. And he says, prior to you going live, I watched a video of if I watch a video honoring your son's memories, it sounds like he was an honorable man. And I want to say thank you for keeping his memories alive. My last duty station was in the Army, 10th Mountain Division. Climb to glory. God bless. Thank you, Michael. Climb to glory. That's the motto of the 10th Mountain. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, I figured it had some sort of meaning. Mike, Mike's, um, he's good like that. He's always very thoughtful in his comments. Um, this is another class of 1996, I believe, alumnus right here. Elena Perlin. How are you, Elena? Yep. Great student. Yep. And and again, we could go on and on and on. So so talk to me about this. So now he's in it. He's in it to win it. He's deployed. How did this affect your family? Well, you know, Every day you just you have hot flutters every day. You don't know. You, you know, you're in a you're in a your child's in a war. You never know what's gonna happen. The enemy's planting, you know, um let's say EODs, but it's not the right thing. Yet. You know, explosions all over the place. I mean, I, I know so many families whose child was killed by an IED. Okay. Right. Um, explosive device. Yep. And it's it's nothing they ever expected. Um, I I remember distinctly being in my classroom at Stoughton High on September 11th, 2001 when over the intercom, they told us all to put our TVs on and they showed the plane crashing into, well, they showed the damage that was done by the plane that crashed into the uh, Twin Towers. And uh, I turned around and looked at my class. At that particular point, I had freshmen and they were like, you know, it was it was it was something that they looked at with horror, but 
their emotions were a little different than my next class that came in, which was made of juniors and seniors. And their take on it was so very different because they knew that many of them would be going to war because they were 16, 17, and 18 years old. Um, and then my own thoughts, my son's going to war. And it's just, it's a scary thing. I remember that day well. Um, I was, so 2001, That I was 25 years old. I was still in the uh, trying to find myself phase of my life. I was doing door-to-door -door sales. And I found myself in downtown Boston, Chinatown, right on the border there. And I walked into a place called Biff's Tavern, I don't know, 9 30 10 a.m some right around when all this was going on mm -hmm. and it felt wrong as soon as you walked in it was one of those things like i know what it is now now that i'm a police officer you 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 know to to embrace that feeling and to trust that feeling of something just not being right but before i was a cop i didn't really i couldn't quantify what that was about so i walk in and like i said it's in the morning i see all these people in this bar at this time in the morning and I'm talking working people, people that look like they were in, you know, like construction workers, things like that. And they're all huddled around the bar area, but nobody's drinking. So I go over looking to make a sale, looking to find, identify the, a manager or whatever. And I see, and I happen to look over at the TV. And like you said, you see the damage from, the, from one of the towers. And within a matter of minutes, downtown Boston turned into something like, from out of a movie. I mean, people were started pouring out of buildings, chaos. People were screaming, yelling. You couldn't get on the, you know, I'm trying to, you were all trying to get back on the subway so we get out of the city and you couldn't get on the subway. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it, it was like something out of a movie, you know, the amount of panic and fear and chaos that was, uh, that was going through everybody there. And, and it's one of those things, you know, everybody always has that conversation. Where were you when yeah. you, you found out? that news and, and that's that's my story I, I was in downtown boston and i think the real panic set in when people realized that 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 the planes had originated from boston that's wow. when people that's when it, everything just went haywire so yeah. um, you know dean so many so many young men and women saw that happen rushed down to the recruiter's office and joined the military um, there was a tremendous rush because of course, um, we have an all voluntary military. We don't have a draft situation. Mm -hmm. um, and they went, and they went because they love this country. They didn't go because someone kicked them in the butt and said, hey, get in there, get in the service. They went because they love the country. And so many of them that came home, came home so damaged, something that people really don't understand that you can be shot or blown up and come home damaged in that way that you've lost an arm or a leg or whatever but it's the in, invisible damage it's the ptsd um, that the sights and things that you see and the things that you do we bring up our children with good values don't hurt anybody. Don't kill. 
and then we put a uniform on them and we put a gun in their hands and send them out to kill. And how does a young person that's been taught all their life that killing is bad deal with the fact that now they're killing and they're seeing their friends killed and they're seeing children killed? And how do you, how do they deal with that? How would you deal with that? Um, that's the PTSD monster that's there that they come home with and why some of them are just so incredibly, lack of a better term, messed up. They need help. Well, it's a perfect segue to what I was going to ask you next. You know, I mean, you know, you have all these young people with this unbelievable sense of duty and honor and they've sacrificed things that, that the average person couldn't even fathom that the human body even contains. Are we doing enough for our veterans when they rotate back home? No. Nope. Short answer, easy. No, we're not. The VA system, as hard as it tries, is not structured to help these young men and women. Uh, first of all, many of them will not seek help. What do we need more of, Mr. Monty? I'm sorry, but... We, we need more mental health institutions to help them. We need to get rid of the stigma of mental health that we have. And it is. I've known so many of these guys. I deal with them all the time. Um, they don't want to go because it's a stigma on their life that someone thinks they're crazy or something. They don't want to deal with that. And so they don't grow, grow, go to these facilities. The military could step in. And they could step in as soon as these soldiers come home or even before they come home and start a process there of trying to bring them back to civilian life, trying to desensitize them from what they've seen and what they've done. That's what really needs to be done. And of course, that takes money. And I think a lot of our... Uh, Politicians, and I don't like to get into politics, but they would rather spend money on guns and bombs and planes and ships than on the military and the kids. They just don't, they don't get it. They, they just don't get it. And I, I find that that's a, that's a common theme with people. Again, this is not to offend anybody out there. And, and I'll be, I'm just going to put it out there. I never served in the military. But in my capacity, in my day job, you, you you see, you hear, you smell things that the human body was not meant no. to endure. Correct. And um, and people, unless you've been in situations like that, it's very difficult to explain to people um, the way that that can uh, consume you. You know, Dean, I belong to an organization called 22 Kill. And people look at that and say, oh, we're going to kill people. No, that number came from the fact that every single day, 22 veterans commit suicide. Every day, not every month, every day, 22 veterans kill themselves because they can't get help. Think about that. Think about 22 people in your life killing themselves. 
it's um it's sad and I, I i deal with a lot of those people as well so really quick you know if you're just joining us again this is a difficult conversation season three i'm here with mr monty and we're discussing duty honor and sacrifice if you know a military veteran that needs some assistance please check out homebase.org and vetcenter.va.gov. Just a few places that you can start the process of trying to get people help that need help. Um, we have, I just can't think of a better way to start the week of Thanksgiving than to talk about the people that allow us to have Thanksgiving and allow us to live the way we live and to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. But those people that do that, it comes at a price. A very high price. Make sure that we're there for them the way that they've been there for us. So just please um, keep that in mind. So yeah, Mr. They, go ahead, Mr. Martin. Please go on. I know you've been through this too, but there's a lot of people who like to pay lip service to this stuff, you know. But they don't want to expend the energy or whatever to help. Um, they might might throw ten bucks or twenty bucks in a in some kind of a you know charity fund, but they don't want to get involved, and that's that's a shame because they these young men and women, you know, I'm reminded of the old old saying here that um, we don't have freedom of speech because some newspaper print stuff. It's the soldier that gives us freedom of speech. It's the soldier that gives us freedom of religion and freedom to assemble. And all the freedoms that we have come from that casket that's draped with the American flag. That's where it comes from. It's their blood that gives us the freedoms we have in this country. And if we don't unite this country and support our military, then this country is not going to last. It won't. Well, Mr. Monty, we got a we got a comment from Stephanie. She says, "Mr. Monty, from one Gold Star family to another, thank you for your continued fight for our veterans. And for those of you out there that are watching, and if you don't know what a Gold Star family is, that is a club that nobody wants to be a member of. That is." Well, Mr. Monty, I'll, I'll, I'll let you. I just want to say God bless you, Stephanie. I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry you had to join our club. It's not a very good club. It's just what we have to endure. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned sacrifice. People just don't understand the sacrifices that these young men and women have, you know, they're, they're in a mud pit or in a hot desert or freezing their butts off somewhere in some country they hardly ever heard of. Um, instead of being home for their birthday or Christmas or Thanksgiving or July 4th or New Year's or anything else, they leave, they go over there, um, leave a pregnant wife at home, have a she has a baby. They don't even see their own child for a year or more. And in some cases, they never got to see their, their child ever. And it, 
it's not just the soldiers that sacrifice go back a level to the families and what they sacrifice having that empty chair at thanksgiving christmas and new year's um and just worrying every day and every night and hoping that their their loved one will come home safely that's sacrifice and then when you become a gold star I like to tell people that when you lose your parents, and I've lost both of mine, but what I lost was my past. When I think of my parents, I think of sitting around my mom's table at Thanksgiving with all of us, 13 children and all of our spouses and children. Such a wonderful time. And, you know, I think of the things I did with my dad. That's the past. That's what I'm looking at. But when you lose your child, and I don't care if it's in war or any other way, when you lose your child, you lost your future. When I think of my son, sure, I think of the things that he did, but I also think about what would Thanksgiving be like now if he were here? Would he be over my house or would I be over his? On July 4th, would we be having a picnic in the backyard? Will we be going fishing or going to Red Sox or Bruins, Celtics game? Um, those things I'll never have. I'll never have my son's children, my grandchildren sitting on my lap. I lost my future. When I open the door of the future, it's just black. It's not there. That's what gold star families go through. The loss of their future. And yes, I have two other children and I adore them. But I, I miss my Jared. Sorry. I'm sorry, you don't have to mess me with your body. It's all right, I want to. Yeah, if you can hand me one, I wish, I wish you could. So, now that I'm a complete puddle, uh, Matt says veterans need access to mental health services, and the VA sets up hurdles. Even if a veteran wants help, so beyond the stigmas, veterans need access. Amen to that. Matt, if there's anything, again, if you could put something in the comments, ways that we can help, because I can tell you right now, a lot of us don't know the extent of, of, of these issues. You know, I know a little bit more than probably the average person, because a lot of times, like in uh, most problems in societies, they call the cops to kind of mop up when nobody can figure out what to do with, um, with a potential issue. But by the time it gets to us, um, I'm sure a lot of things could have been put in place to prevent it from getting to that point. Uh, Mike says, amen, Mr. Monty. It's too bad that folks forget about America's veterans. Thanks for sharing. My heartaches, listen to your words. You know, Dean, you mentioned the mental health crisis in this country. 
few weeks ago, some policeman shot a kid to death. He was brandishing a knife, and I'm not saying they were right or wrong. But the kid had definitely had mental health issues, and he didn't get help. And we can even go back to the uh, school slayings in Connecticut. That kid had mental health issues, and he didn't get help. And the mental health system in this country is broken, badly broken. Believe me, I know. It's you know being a police officer, definitely. It's it's um I would say conservatively 80% of the calls that we are involved with have some sort of a mental health component. When you also add in substance abuse, um, both drug and alcohol, which of course, if you if you are dependent on it, that, that is a that is a mental health issue. Um I don't know what, what the answer is. I don't know how to fix this. I know they closed a lot of these mental hospitals years ago, even before I was on the job. Yep. And this is the ripple effect is what we're seeing now. We have all these people that just, they just don't have the, the resources. They don't have anything it takes in order to, to function in society properly with their mental health issues. Now you add in our veterans, like we spoke about earlier in the show that are forced to see hear, do, smell, possibly taste things that will change you forever in ways that um, that are unspeakable. All right, so Matt's back. He's got more information for us. Since the VA is a big machine, if you call in and try to set up an appointment, they ask for a referral. Then you have to call another number and another number. If you are struggling, the last thing you need is a runaround in hoops. Absolutely true, Matt. Absolutely true. And you know what happens often, way too often? These vets and other people, they go to a mental health facility and they do see someone. And they walk out with a handful of prescriptions for drugs. Not the help they need, but prescriptions for drugs, because that's the easy way to take care of things. Fill them up with drugs. Get them so loopy that they don't know, you know, that they sit around the house in a chair watching mindless television or something. And I've seen it personally over and over again. I belong to a lot of groups, a lot of veterans groups. And uh, I hear their stories often. And this is so common. Drugs is the answer. Drugs is not the answer. It isn't. It's facilities that can help people. That's the answer. But they go to the drugs as a coping mechanism to kind of numb whatever it is or to help push back whatever it is that um yep. that seems to be overwhelming them, right? Right. So Matt's back again. Mr. Money says a lot of veterans find more support from nonprofits that go outside the VA to find immediate non-traditional treatments but these orgs need support and help do your research and support good orgs so matt i'm going to speak to that and i'm with you on the do your research and all that stuff but we also got to keep in mind the nature of people like mr monty said at the outset the average person though everybody's feeling it right at this moment is only going to make themselves 
just slightly uncomfortable if at best in order to help other people it's just not human nature it's not so if you could please you know put a little you know if you could put put a little bit more in there and i promise you i'll pump this out on supply of the why i'll pump it out on my on my personal platforms and um and i and i will i will do my part and then some i will make myself uncomfortable to help whatever causes can 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 just even just a little bit take alleviate some of these issues because this i mean this is a real problem you know dean matt is so correct um a friend of mine runs an organization nonprofit organization out in lemonster it's called vets helping vets and what they do is they get they have an open house kind of thing everybody comes in sits down they're all vets and they talk with each other and they have an open mic and any one of these vets that wants to come up and talk on the mic they do that they tell their stories and the number of vets that have come back to meetings that have come up to that mic and said this group saved my life it's amazing that they get to to talk to someone that understands what they went through and that kind of an organization needs help and needs support absolutely so i'm just going to hit the chat real quick um a, a great supporter of veterans a, a man who honors military veterans every single day mike said not everybody forgets our military veterans and he and he isn't just talking the talk man he is walking the walk he's out there he's running with his american flag and he's always dedicating runs and certain distances to um the the, the, the fallen veterans to I mean, his father was a veteran but um but mike i hear you man i hear you and i and i know not everybody forgets it but this problem is so large and it's so thick we need more right we need more. So, Mr. Marty, do you have any causes that are, I mean, important to you? Anything that, that any charities that you are involved in or anything like that? Well, I'm in a lot of them, but I do run three of my own. Um, we have three programs. We like to say that we take care of vets from cradle to death and um, cradle to grave. Um, our first program is called Celebrate the Military Child, where we try to give the children of soldiers who are deployed something that they can hang on to. For example, um, we gave this Christmas party that was just awesome. Um, one or both of the parents were deployed, and we had the kids in. We had an armory set up, and... Um, the kids were given a large box, all decorated with wrapping paper, and sent around to all these different tables. And the kids were allowed to pick up things, coloring books and crayons and stuffed animals and toys, games, and fill their box. Um, the next section that they would go to was filled with all kinds of hygiene stuff, uh, soaps and shampoos and whatever kinds of things that was mostly for their parents that were guiding them around and the parents also got a box and they filled their box with that stuff and then they went to a third section which was all food products and they filled up their box and no one left there with uh, with an empty box everyone left with at least two boxes full um we gave a 
baby shower for pregnant military moms. Um, you know, the military only stay in a base for two years and then they move you out. So they didn't have a group, so to speak, that, that they got to know well enough that they would give them a baby shower. So we did it. And uh, every mom walked out of there with over $1,000 worth of stuff from pampers and wipes and onesies all the way up to walking out with strollers and cribs and that kind of stuff. Um, it's just so rewarding. The last two years, we've given bicycles to um, Mass Military Support Foundation, where they had a big Christmas party for deployed military. And um, we were able to give them bicycles for Christmas. So that that's one of our programs that we run that we're so proud of. Our second program is um, Flags for Vets. Um, in that program, after a four and a half year battle with the VA, we were given permission to put flags on all the graves um, in the Mass National Cemetery in Bourne, where previously no flags were allowed. But we ended up getting permission, provided that we buy all the flags, we put them all in, we take them all out and we store them. So that was the challenge and that we did. And this past um, Veterans Day, we put 77,000 flags in that cemetery. And we do it every Memorial Day and every Veterans Day. And right now we're actually in the process of buying 80,000 new flags uh, because the ones we've been using are getting worn. So we're trying to do some fundraising for that. Um, to buy our, buy our new flags. Uh, no, the government does not pay for the flags. No, the government does not subsidize us in any way. We do it. Um, and our third program is our scholarship program. This past year, we were able to give out $14,000 in scholarships. We gave, let me see, four $2,000 scholarships at my son's high school and um, three $2,000 scholarships um, at Fort Drum, New York, which was Jared's last duty station. So yeah, I, I run, I run three charities myself and then I've gone to other ones. Um, uh, not think of all the names here running around in my head, but, uh, well, Mr. Monty, I know this is going to seem, um, <laughs> like the shoes on the other foot here. Let me tell you, this isn't a quiz. You know what I mean? As much as I would love to turn around to somebody who was a teacher in high school and tell them that I'm quizzing you, this is not a quiz. So if you can't come up with it right now, no big deal. What you can do is, as you think of them, just reach out to me, and I will pump these out on the Supply to Y page okay. as they come out. So so don't feel like you gotta you got to rattle them all off now. Um, yeah. you know, well, there's Mass Foreign Heroes in Boston, um, which um, also has another program called um, Veterans Edge, where they help veterans find jobs and support. There's Mass Military Heroes. There's um, Friends of Massachusetts Military. You know, I'm on the board of directors on a bunch of these, and you know, they're all good. I wouldn't be there if they weren't. Well, Mr. Monty, I got a great question for you. It says, yeah. Mr. Monty, do you accept help with the flag placement? We would love to get our family and kids involved, if that's possible. I don't know if there's an age thing or what. We have no age thing. The uh, the pride that we have is the number of people that show up to help us, all voluntary, don't have to register. We always do it the Saturday before Memorial Day, the Saturday before Veterans Day. 
We pick up the flags on the Sunday after Memorial Day, the Sunday after Veterans Day. Um, we've had as many as 5,000 people down there helping us putting the flags in, which is amazing. But what's most amazing is who comes and helps us. We've had people in their 90s down there um, trying to put a flag on their loved one's grave. We have babies and strollers. We have entire families, the grandparents, the parents, and the kids. We have motorcycle clubs that come. We have football teams and hockey teams that come and help us out. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, old, young, in between. Um, it's such a great cross-section of America and shows that, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that really do care, but they need something to rally around. And they rally around this project and come down. So a little more difficult this year with COVID. We just did it for Veterans Day. We had to make all kinds of provisions in order to be able to do it. But we did it. We put in 77,000 flags and we took them all out. So it's a it's a great program we're very, very proud of. Well, I, like I said, uh, you have my word. Um, first of all, you're going to, I mean, first things first, you're going to get a donation from Supply the Y. Um, I'm going to, um, let me be the first to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do a hundred dollar donation from supply the Y just to get things started. And I would encourage others again, give what you can, you know, if you can only give a couple bucks, then a couple bucks, like there's no, there's no judgment here. You know, my father used to have a perfect saying for this exact scenario. My father used to say some of something is better than none of nothing. And that's exactly right. Let me, let me tell you something else, Dean. We accept no corporate donations. Um, I don't want to be beholden to some company that's going to give us a donation and then demand that we put their logo up. That's not what it's about. All our donations come from grassroots people. Some will give us $100, some will give us 20 And some little kid will show up with a jar full of coins that he saved all year long and put it in the donation bottle. And we will reach our goal. We need to we need to get eighty thousand dollars to get our new flags. It's a buck a flag. But we'll get it. We'll get it. Thanks to the generosity of the wonderful people of this great country. Well, I, I, I'm 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 honored to be able to contribute just in some small part to this. And it looks like we have somebody else that's already um, looking to stand shoulder to shoulder with me on this. Karen from Meeting House Mill says Meeting House Mill gift shop. Will also donate. So, um, yeah, let's get this started right. Let's. We're down to the last ninety seconds of the show. Um, it's been uh, anyone that wants to donate. Let me give you a an address. Um, they want to send it to the SFC Sergeant First Class Jared C Monty Charitable Foundation in care of Paul Monty. 408 Center, C-E-N-T-E-R Street, Rainham, R-A-Y-N-H-A-M, Massachusetts, 02767. And you want to put in the memo area whether you want your donation to go to Flags for Vets, Celebrate the Military Child, or Scholarships. Or if you don't really care which one it goes to, just leave it blank and we'll put it where we need it. We were not able to do any fundraising this year, so our funds are down, but we'll get there. 
Well, Mr. Monty, I can I speak in, on behalf of everybody in the chat. We hear you loud and clear, and we're with you. And thank you, Dean. Thank you for having me on. I, I, uh, I can't I can't thank you enough for coming on here. And and I'm I, I'm sorry for ripping off the bandaid um, and, and, and exposing this, but the good you did by being able to come on and share your story, especially a few days before Thanksgiving, at a time where people really need to sit back. And remember what that holiday is all about. I can't thank you enough for that, Mr. Monty. You you made me a better person for having this conversation. And um I I just have all the respect in the world for you. I really do, man. I got time for one more plug in here. Of course you do. Okay. Um a friend of mine, a kid I graduated from high school with, um, came to see me about writing a book about Jared. Now I had already turned down three authors because I didn't want a G.I. Joe book. I didn't want a Forrest Gump book. So he asked me how to write it. And I said, you're going to write about the humanitarian Jared. And he did. And you can get the book on Barnes and Noble or you can get it on Amazon. It's called See You on the High Ground, the Jared Monty story. Just have a box of Kleenex with you when you read it. It's and an again, amazing story about an amazing man. And again, folks, if you don't get all this information down, don't worry. We replay all the broadcast on the YouTube channel, on the Facebook channel, Apple, Amazon, and Spotify. This is most definitely going to be on all of those. And I'm going to get with Mr. Monty afterwards, and I'm going to give an old teacher some homework and to have him kind of put all this down for me. You still want me to work. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't wait. You'll get a session if you don't get it done on time either. And, 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 and I will make sure that I post all of this information on, uh, on the Supply the Y page. All I ask is that you like it, you share it, and you make sure that, th that we uh, we make this all go viral. So, Mr. Monty, on behalf of everybody that's in the audience, thank you again. We all love you, and thanks and happy Thanksgiving, Mr. Monty. Thank you for having me, and happy holidays to everybody out there. Have a great Thanksgiving. I know it's a little tough this year, but um, have a good one. Well, that wraps up the... That wraps up our episode for tonight, folks. Thanks for taking time away from your families. Um, I hope it was worthwhile. Again, we got a lot more con coming up. Stay tuned to uh, Supply the Why. We're going to have a lot of difficult conversations. And if you have any ideas for um, episodes you want to see or questions you want to ask, you can find us at supplythewhy at gmail.com, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Amazon, Apple, and Spotify podcasts. So good night, everybody, and we'll see you all next week for when we have our monthly meetup with Dr. Obed Magni and Mike Powell. Good night. <laughs>